so glad that you're here today. Whether you're here in Center Court West, Center Court East, or if you're coming to us online, we're glad you've chosen to worship at Faith Bridge. Today we are wrapping up a two-part series that we're calling Ugly Instincts. We're looking at those uh, aspects of our lives that can be so ugly, so unchristlike, that Jesus decided to take them head on. Last week, uh, Adam got us started looking at that instinct we have to seek revenge and how that does not represent the spirit of Christ. Today, we're going to be looking at the ugly instinct to judge other people. And to guide our thinking, we're going to be in the Gospel of Matthew. If you need a Bible, raise your hands. Ushers are coming down the aisle. They'll be glad to give you one, and that can be yours to keep if you need it. We're going to be in Matthew chapter 7, a portion of Scripture uh, that is a part of the Sermon on the Mount. Matthew chapter 7. We'll begin reading at verse 1. First, I'll put my eyes on. Jesus said, Do not judge, or you too will be judged. For in the same way you judge others, you will be judged. And with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. Why do you look at the speck of sawdust in your brother's eye and pay no attention to the plank in your own eye? How can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye when all the time there is a plank in your own eye? You hypocrite, first take the plank out of your own eye, and then you will see clearly to remove the speck from your brother's eye. Do not give dogs what is sacred. Do not throw your pearls to pigs. If you do, they may trample them under their feet and then turn and tear you to pieces. Let's pray together. Father, we're so grateful that we can gather here today on a beautiful, beautiful Palm Sunday to worship your son Jesus, to lift his name up in prayer and in song. We're thankful for the gift of your word and for the truth that it speaks and for the power that it has to change our lives. As we turn our attention now to this portion, we pray that uh, your Holy Spirit would do just as you promised he would be our teacher and that he would guide us into all truth. We offer our prayer in the strong name of Jesus. Amen. <clears throat> judge not, or you too will be judged. Or if you prefer the King James, judge not lest ye be judged. Surely this particular verse is in the running for being among the most quoted passages of Scripture in all the world. And it's also in the running for being among the most misused passages of Scripture. People have mangled this and torn this out of context and made such a mess of it that I think it's necessary we take a good long look at it today and understand what was Jesus actually saying. Because typically we take this passage and, and we turn it into a shield. We use it to deflect any and all criticism that's coming our way that we don't particularly care for. Someone says to us, 
hey, that, that doesn't seem very Christ-like to me. Judge not, lest you be judged. I'm not sure that's such a good decision. Judge not, lest you be judged. And in doing so, we effectively eliminate the possibility of criticism. We've insulated ourselves against any form of criticism. Is that what Jesus was trying to accomplish through this? I, I, I don't think so. Because the last verse that we read is really pretty strong. Jesus says, don't give to dogs what is sacred and don't throw your pearls before swine. Well, friends, if you are going to determine who's a piggy and who's a pup, you've got to do some judging. You've got to be able to evaluate before you make that kind of decision, right? And in 1 Corinthians uh, chapter 15, the Apostle Paul tells us that bad company corrupts good character. How are you going to determine who is bad company in order to maintain your good character? Well, that is going to require some evaluation on your part, some judging on your part. So which is it? I mean, not even Jesus can have it both ways. We're either not to judge or we are to judge. Which way are we going to go? Well, I think the problem has to do with that little word, judge, and how it has been interpreted, misinterpreted. So why don't we consider, first of all, what Jesus did not mean by that word, judge. Jesus was not, in this command, referring to any form of wise discernment, constructive criticism, helpful evaluation. No, Jesus understood those things are a necessary part of life. It would be difficult for a society to operate, for an individual to operate, if we did not have the capacity to make helpful evaluations, constructive criticism, wise discerning sorts of decisions. Practically every area of life is impacted by our ability to do so. Certainly the legal system depends upon the ability of judges and juries to wrestle with and make wise decisions, wise judgments about innocence or guilt. Commerce depends upon an employer being able to look at an array of interviewees and decide, you're the one that we want, you're the one that we need. You fit. Need to be able to make that judgment if the company's going to move ahead. In education, teachers every day have to be able to judge between what is passing and what is failing. And of course, those of us who are parents should be exercising judgment about our children's behavior all the time. Two weeks ago, I was uh, making the 16-hour flight from Doha, Qatar to Houston and there were any number of times during that flight that I so wished some parents would have exercised some judgment about their children's behavior. No, Jesus is not referring to the necessary and helpful sort of judgment that allows life to go on as it should. What he is referring to is the ugly instinct that we all have, to make a full and final judgment about another person's worth and value as a human being 
Not to measure a, 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 some knowledge they may or may not have or a skill they may or may not possess, but, but to look at them in their totality and say, no good. Wrong. Not going to waste my time on you. Not going to love you. Not going to serve you. Not worth the time of day. To write them off as a human being. That's what Jesus is getting at here. He's speaking against that ugly, ugly instinct that we have oftentimes to make these snap judgments about the value of another person. Sometimes it's a very considered judgment, but a sinful one nevertheless. And there are very, very good reasons, serious reasons, why Jesus warns us against this kind of behavior. Jesus understood just how evil and dangerous judging can become. For one thing, it flagrantly breaks the first commandment. The Ten Commandments, number one, you shall have no other gods before me. When we judge another human being in a final, definitive sort of way, we have put ourselves in the place of God. Idols don't have to be made of wood or stone. We can make an idol out of ourselves and our own wisdom, our own ability to discern and judge. Scripture says in 1 Kings that it is only God who can see fully and clearly the hearts of men. God sees a person in their totality. He understands what they've been through their whole lives, the influences that have impacted their lives, the experiences both for good and for bad, the suffering, what all has gone into making them who they are. Yes, God as an omniscient God who knows everything is in a position to judge. But we're lucky if we see a slice out of a person's life, just a slice And upon the basis of that information, we put ourselves in the place of God and we assume a prerogative that is not ours to assume. God takes this very, very seriously. I mean, he chose 10 issues to highlight. The top 10, if you will. And the first of those was having no other gods before me. It's bad enough to make an idol out of something else, but to presume that we are God... I don't think it gets much more dangerous than that. Another reason why judging other people is such serious business is because it in no way reflects the character of Christ. You know, as Christians, as disciples of Jesus, Scripture says that we are to be conformed to the image of Jesus. In other words, we are to be becoming like him more and more and more with every passing day so that our thoughts and our words and our attitudes and our behaviors all reflect the person and the character of Jesus. But when we slip over into judging, we are no longer doing that. In John chapter 3, Jesus said, I did not come into the world to condemn the world. I came to save the world. If Jesus was anything, he was a man of mercy and compassion, long-suffering, forgiveness, and love. And whether he was dealing with an adulterous woman or a man who had leprosy, whatever the case was, Jesus was not about judgment. Jesus was about loving others right where they were and showing them unconditional, godly love. 
Now, the professional judges of Jesus' day were the religious, the religious leaders specifically known as the Pharisees. The Pharisees were a group of men who were the keepers of religious law. Knowledgeable, for sure. Arrogant in the extreme. And in a fear-based hold on power, they sought to put everyone else down by pointing out all of their faults so that they would be raised up. That's how they held on to the power that they had, by constantly judging others. The words Pharisee and Pharisaical have made their way into our lexicon, describing a a legalistic, judgmental sort of person. I wish, uh, genuinely, it were not so. But when I look back over my life, there was a period of time from my early 20s to about my mid-20s where, no, no two ways about it, I was a Pharisee of Pharisees. I mean, I knew who was in and who was out, who was right and who was wrong, who was going to heaven and who was going to hell. I mean, after all, I was in Bible college. I made A's in all my classes. I knew the score. And I didn't hesitate a minute to look down my Bible college nose at other people that didn't quite measure up. Terribly judgmental, legalistic person. Until one day when I got a phone call, and this phone call exploded all of my nice, neat little boxes of judgment I had set up. I had a cousin, and in my extended family, it was an open secret, if you will, that Jim was gay. And that was all that I needed to know about Jim back in those days to write him off. I mean, that immediately put him on the outside in my narrow, bigoted, unchristlike perspective. That was immediate exclusion from my life, from the kingdom, no matter what. Never mind the fact that in my entire life leading up to college, I'd only ever been around him two times. I knew nothing about him. I didn't know him as a person. I didn't know about his thoughts, his fears, his hurts, nothing. But on the basis of his sexual orientation, he's out. I was in my dorm room one afternoon, knock at the door. A guy says, hey, you got a phone call. So I got up to go down the hall. Uh, This... There was a time when cell phones did not exist. (laughs) You actually had to walk down the hall. This thing called a payphone hung on the wall. Hello? Uh, Dan? Yeah? Uh, This is your cousin, Jim. Last phone call I was expecting. Um, Your folks gave me this number to try and reach you. Thanks, Mom and Dad. Uh, I understand that you're in Bible college. Yeah. So you probably know a little bit about what it means to be in a relationship with Jesus. Well, yeah, I, I'm, I do. 
He said, well, I, I'm glad to hear that because I need some help. You see, last night, for the first time since I was a kid, I went to church, and I think I became a Christian, but I'm just not sure. W- would you be willing to help me sort of figure all of that out? Well, right then, friends, I was at a fork in the road. And I was either going to go my typical pharisaical way and say, no, sorry, can't help you. Or I was going to be like Jesus. And I can only attribute it to the grace of God because there was nothing in me that was gracious or loving or kind. But almost against my will, I find myself saying, yes, I I can help you with that. And you know what? I will be forever grateful that I did because Jim would go on then to become one of my nearest and dearest, most precious friends. And God would use him in powerful ways to introduce Jesus to others. I shudder to think what might have happened had I just click hung up and gone on about my proud pharisaical way. But somehow, some way, God broke through my judgmental self, and his love passed through me onto Jim, and through Jim it went to countless, countless others. When we're in judgmental mode, we are not in Jesus mode. I don't care how right you think you are, how biblical you think you are. If you're choosing judgment over love, you've left Jesus behind. Choosing to be judgmental is not only evil, it's not only unchristlike, it's incredibly dangerous. This came home to me last month. I was in Jerusalem with a group of people touring Israel. And as a part of our tour, we went to the Holocaust Museum. And although I had read about the Holocaust and had been to other museums and so This museum in Jerusalem is amazing. You walk through winding corridors that lead you from the beginning of it in 1933 to the end in 1945. And you see how the first judgmental thought of one man would ultimately lead to untold suffering and death of seven million men, women, boys, and girls. When I got to the end of the display, I was struck with that thought. It started with one person who had that first judgmental thought, and it changed the course of history. An entire race of people was nearly wiped out from Europe And it probably would not have come to an end had the Third Reich not come to an end in 1945. Now, perhaps you think to yourself, well, Pastor Dan, that's kind of an extreme example. You know what? I don't think anybody in 1933 had any idea what was coming over the next 12 years. Not a clue. And we don't have a clue where our sin might lead us ever. And the sin of being judgmental 
can take us places we never intended to go and can have consequences for other people that should have never happened. We break the first commandment. We do not reflect Jesus. It's terribly dangerous. And we lose the opportunity to tell others about Jesus when we're judgmental. You know, when, when being a judge of someone else is our priority, we don't love those people. There's no room for the love to get in. And therefore, why would we have any incentive at all to tell them about Jesus? Telling people about Jesus comes out of a heart of love, not out of a heart of being judgmental. Not to mention the fact that they perceive we are judgmental. They're not going to want to listen to what we have to say. Judgmentalism destroys evangelism. And as Christ followers, one of our primary responsibilities is to tell other people about Jesus. For good or for bad, social media is here to stay. There are some good things about it, no doubt, but there are also some terrible things about it. And I cannot think of a, a, another arena in life where people feel more free to be judgmental than on social media. It's as though they've got this cloaking device that hides them where they can say the most terrible things about individuals or other groups. And sometimes I'm shocked to see, particularly in the area of politics, I'm shocked to see what Christians say to people of an opposing opinion. I am shocked to see what faith bridgers say on Facebook. And those who are Democrats denigrate the Republicans. And those who are Republicans despise the Democrats. And all sorts of things go back and forth about these two groups that are incredibly judgmental and completely unchristlike. And from time to time, people have pointed out to me, Pastor Dan, I noticed that you never say anything political on Facebook. And I say, yes, that's right. Although I happen to have my own political convictions, they aren't my priority in life. I have a greater priority to serve a king and to tell other people about that king. Because the fact of the matter is, one day there won't be a Republican Party. One day there won't be a Democratic Party. One day there won't be a United States of America. One day there will be a kingdom and a king. And that's who we're going to have to answer to. And so I challenge you who are on social media of any stripe, before you make a post, stop and think. Is this helping or hindering the responsibility that my king has given to me to tell other people about him? Being judgmental is so insidious. I mean, it can be as natural as breathing if we're not paying attention. So how do we combat it? Well, Jesus gives us the answer. The answer is through self-examination. 
That's why Jesus said, take the plank out of your own eye. Look inside first. And give the Holy Spirit an opportunity and the Word of God an opportunity to search your heart first and reveal the truth about you to you. But most of us don't want to go there. We're really not interested looking deep down inside because frankly, we might not like what we find down there. But that's what we're called to do. And I would contend it is really the only hope we have to move away from being judgmental. Because when we practice self-examination, when we allow the Holy Spirit to show us the truth about ourselves, we're reminded of several things. First and foremost, that none of us are anything but sinners saved by grace. Who am I to stand in judgment of you? to judge the totality of your worth as a human being. Who are any of us to judge anybody? We are sinners saved by grace. And if anything, we should be on our faces giving thanks to God that he had the mercy to reach out to us and deliver us from our sin, of which judgmentalism can be a big part. Practicing self-examination also has the incredible benefit of revealing to us our true motives. Why are we judging this situation or that, per, or that group? What's really going on? Some of us just love to be right. Even if what we're right about is terribly wrong, it's so important for us to be right. Others of us have to control the situation. And the only way we can be sure we've got control is if we're persuading other people to think like we do. But we can be blind to those things. And we can justify and rationalize all of our efforts to show our opinion, to try to change others, to bring people around to how they ought to think. Proverbs 21 says, you know, there's a way that seems right to a man, but God weighs the heart. If we will give him a chance, God will open up our hearts and show us this is who you really are. And this is why you're being driven to judge this way or that Self-examination also gives us an opportunity to let God clarify our thinking. When we come to the Lord humbly in a spirit of prayer and seek Him and study His Word, He reveals truth to us. He not only points out what's wrong inside of us, but He shows us the truth of the matter, how we should be thinking, how He thinks. And if we're going to be a Christ follower, we should think as he thinks. But if we're all consumed with our own thoughts and our own perspectives, it's going to be mighty hard to hear what Jesus thinks about anything. So what's the alternative? Love. 
love. You know, today's Palm Sunday. And some 2,000 years ago, on this day, Jesus rode a donkey into Jerusalem. Knowing full well that by the end of the week, he would undergo unimaginable suffering and ultimately die on a cross. And if anybody was in a position to be doing some judging, it was Jesus, the only one who had ever lived a sinless life. And yet that week, he did nothing of the kind. Instead, that very week, he gathered his disciples together and he said to them, a new commandment I give you, that you love one another as I have loved you. And thanks be to God, his focus, his emphasis, his heart was on love and not on judgment because it was love that helped him endure the suffering. It was love that kept him on the cross. Love for you and for me. And the only reason at all that we have any hope of salvation, any hope of a restored relationship with God, any hope of being changed from the inside out is because Jesus chose to love and not judge. And so if you want to celebrate Hosanna on Palm Sunday, celebrate the fact that Jesus loved you enough to ride into that city and not judge you or any other broken, sinful human being. Next week, we celebrate Easter. Not only his beautiful sacrificial death, but more importantly, the fact that three days later he rose from the grave. We serve a living Savior. A living Savior. And because He lives, we can be set free from the bondage of judging other people. And because He lives, we can be awakened to the truth about ourselves. And because He lives, we can experience genuine, unconditional love for others that is completely impossible apart from the love of Jesus and completely impossible apart from a living Jesus. Perhaps as you came in church today in the, one of the two atriums, you noticed the beautiful display of photos and individuals in those photos recounting how they are thankful and what is meaningful for them because he lives. I wanted to share a few of them with you this morning. Jay, because he lives, I have a tomorrow full of milestones my living God blessed me with the gift of life through organ donation. I have seen all my children grow. I danced at two weddings, celebrated my 20th anniversary with Rhonda, and we've been blessed with the birth of our first grandchild, Macy. Why? Because he lives. Shannon, I can find peace and face tomorrow during difficult worldly experiences such as a death and suffering. We have strength through faith and the power of Christ because he lives. Last one I'll show you is from Matt. I have enough, enough to worship, to sing never-ending praise for what he has delivered me from, to always be thankful for how he saved my life, to joyfully serve and love those around me like he has done for me. Because he lives, I am free. 
I am at peace. I am a child of the Lord. I am loved. I am known fully and beautifully because he lives. We felt like it would be a good idea for everybody to think about what does it mean that he lives? In your bulletin this morning, you should have a little card, white card up in the corner. It says, because he lives. And in just a moment, to conclude our service, we want to give you a few minutes here in the quietness of worship, away from everything else, to sit and think, how would I complete this sentence? What is true of me, of my circumstances? What can I hope for? If you didn't get one, just raise your hand and our ushers, they'll be glad to give you one. I spent a few minutes thinking about it myself in my quiet time this morning. And this is what I wrote. Because he lives, I have hope that I can change. You know, when I allow the Holy Spirit to take a good long look inside of me, I don't like what I see. There are so many things about me that are ugly. Ugly instincts. Unchristlike. And the only, only hope I have of changing is because He lives. Because no matter how much I try, I know I'm going to fail me every time. But because He lives, I have hope that, yeah, I won't be the same Dan tomorrow that I am today. And one day, I'll be just like Him because I'll see Him face to face. So why don't we take the next few minutes and let's prayerfully think, what does this mean to me? And then please write it down on the card. Let's take just a moment and do that together. I think this is a wonderful way to begin Holy Week. I hope you'll come back to be with us on Maundy Thursday and certainly next Easter. And I I hope above all that you'll bring somebody with you who doesn't know Jesus so they can have that opportunity to understand that because he lives, life can be different. In just a moment, I'm going to ask you to stand and we're going to pray and we're going to ask the Lord to seal these things to our heart. And then as you leave, there'll be some baskets at each exit. We're going to ask you just to drop the card in the basket and then come back next Sunday and be ready for a beautiful surprise of what happens with these cards. For now, though, let's, uh, let's stand together and I'll invite you just to hold this card up as a way of 
offering it to the Lord, expressing your gratitude and love for him as we join our hearts in prayer. Won't you stand, please? Let's pray. Father, how grateful we are that you sent your son Jesus to come after us when we cared nothing about you and that he was willing to endure the pain and the agony of the cross and that three days later he would rise. And because he lives, history will never be the same. We will never be the same. I pray that you would take each one of these cards, Lord, and that what is written on them would not merely be a sentiment, not merely be a passing thought, but it, it would be something that finds its way into our hearts and truly changes who we are, delivers us from judgmentalism or any other sin that has a grip in our lives. How grateful we are that we serve a loving Savior. And it's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. Hey, God bless you. Have a wonderful week. Drop these off. We'll see you Monday, Thursday, and Easter.